I'm Glenn Bowerman, and this is a Spacing Radio election special. We'll be bringing you weekly panel discussions from now until Toronto goes to the polls October 22nd. This week, our guests are Denise Balkasun, weekly columnist for The Globe and Mail, and John Michael McGrath, digital media producer and bi-weekly columnist for TVO. Stand by. Uh, thank you both for joining us for the third uh, Spacing Radio election panel. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Uh, We've uh, had a number of debates at this point. Uh, we've heard a lot from uh, various uh, mayoral candidates. Uh, so I wanted to take the, the two front runners uh, sort of one by one. Uh, John Tory started this race uh, pulling very high, I think something like 70% by some estimates. He's taken a slight dip, but he's remained kind of where he's been at. Uh, so his approach seems to be just kind of stay the course and uh, not make any big splashes because it's, it's really his race to lose. Um, something he continues to say in uh, in debates is that you know we 've made historic investments uh, you know and uh, i 'd like a little fact check on that because uh, it seems to me that uh, i 'm not going to say there 's been no progress made but uh, th- there 's been a lot of announcements for sure you know things like we 're going to have a poverty reduction strategy, but uh, a lot of the things that he 's announced um, ha- are not funded as of yet you know that we've we 've said that they are something that we want to do, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, until there's money behind it, it's just kind of a nice idea. So uh, does he have a record to run on of, like, uh, accomplishments? Or, uh, you know, are these just kind of, like, ideas? Like, I I stand for this, I stand for housing, I stand for Mm -hmm. transit, but uh, have we really seen investment? Well, I think one thing that uh, certainly... uh, will matter to Denise and I going mm-hmm. forward is, and, and I, I hear it a lot from John Tory supporters, how much um, uh, free TTC fares for uh, young children uh, has, has mattered to them, uh, that just taking the whole um, you know, mental burden of planning uh, transit trips off of their mind has actually meant a lot to them. But it's kind of a, a marginal accomplishment in the grand scheme of things and and uh, you know it, it it's it's sort of a a backhanded compliment if that is the the big accomplishment that people are talking about four years into your mayoral ter- tenure i mean one of the um claims that i think irritates me a bit is the the you know the claim about um historic investment in uh housing mm. oh, yeah. which um <laughs> you know i mean we know the stories about um, you know, really decrepit uh, situations uh, in in housing, and the fact that the city is losing units um, to underinvestment, and at the same time, some of the mayor's um, more reliable votes on council are exactly the, the same people who have been voting against um, the kind of investments that would be needed. Um, you know, it, it is just the case that um, most of the money that the city. Uh, has uh, proclaimed as having committed to Toronto community housing is, in fact, um, I don't want to say accounting sort of gimmicks, but the 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 money that has been freed up uh, is not, you know, 
property tax money that's been put on the table. It is, you know, um, changing the terms of city mortgages, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and that, that was made available by changes in provincial policy. Um, you know, what we don't have yet is a real um, consensus that uh, people uh, in dire need of affordable housing should have access to uh, the property tax base the same way that, for example, middle-class households who want um, parks and police have can just rely on those services as being paid for out of the property taxes. Right. Denise, are we seeing historical investments or historical <laughs> level um, of announcements? I mean, it's funny because when I think of the one, like, what actually happened, my mind immediately goes to free TTC for kids, which um, on one, like, is great. Mm-hmm. It's actually introduced a whole other problem in terms of, like, ID and the amount of times that I've seen, like, racialized boys having to show ID and, you know, that part. And and now that like that is problematic, and then now we're moving to Presto, and there's the whole thing about do kids have to have their own Presto card, and do their parents have to buy them one and put money on it? So um, it's an accomplishment. It's not perfect, and as John says, it's not really big enough to um, be proud of. I think transit generally, we've seen Smart Track go from a great idea to a pretty paltry reality, mm-hmm. um, and then the housing thing is just. I'm working on something about a um, proposal through the Open Door program in Scarborough that was turned down. And I don't want to give away too much of it, but I can say that if we look at the projects that were most recently approved, I believe it was in the midsummer, the vast majority of them are going to established developers, which, okay, they will get the job done, but can they run an affordable housing project? And then they also get out of a fair amount of fees, which we need all of that money. Um, I live on Queen East and my neighborhood is being intensified and I know that's good for the city and the planet. And I'm also like, my pool's gonna be way too full. My pool is gonna have too many people. And um, there are signs that say these children are not allowed to go to the local school. So, you know, Intensify, but there's no infrastructure for it. And then the other thing about the open door approvals is that it's only for 25 years, most of them. There's a couple that are already nonprofit housing, one like nonprofit housing companies. Uh, one is an Aboriginal group, and so they have a lease for 40 years, and probably after that they will keep it affordable. But just like 25 years, great, we're gonna have this problem again. So, um, yeah. We're thinking TTC for kids is right. yeah. that's that's the legacy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he said you know the, there was a recent debate uh, in front of the sort of business community, and he he said, I think we've proven in the last four years that we can keep taxes at or below the rate of inflation and still pay for all the things that we want. Now, Keysmat and many people will point out that you had a city manager who left seemingly in frustration who said Mm -hmm. no you cannot like someone's gonna have to pay this eventually or you're gonna have to decide which of these grand announcements that you made uh, you're not going to fund so uh like has well and and i mean even by just the, the basic sort of mathematical facts i mean if you include all of the property tax increases that john tory you know uh, personally supported, uh, which included the the so-called city building fund uh, that uh, he funded, which was a tax above and beyond the rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John Tory's central claim that he's he's kept taxes to uh, at or below the rate of inflation is not correct. Um, but yes, you're right. I mean, uh, you know, Peter Wallace uh, left after 
uh, I guess, what, three years of telling council that um, they had to make a choice and uh, council is content to keep kicking the can down the road. Um, I, don't, I don't put that on John Tory. Um, mm-hmm. That's you know a, a broader problem of, of the, the politics at council. Um, but it's going to be the problem for the next council too. Right. Uh, Denise, things cost money. Yes, <laughs> they do. <laughs> I mean, Keysmet, didn't you say today that she's not going to raise property taxes um, beyond inflation? I believe she did this morning. Did? I, I may have missed that. Uh, uh, we will have to, I might have to do, do a little plug Do you want me to fact in. check? Yeah. Um, I believe I saw that this morning. Um, uh, if, if she did, yes. that's, that really doesn't distinguish her much from her opponents. Right. And would be... Uh, it would make me really question a lot of the big city building things that she did. Mm. We'll have to check. We'll yeah. all flee to our iPhones <laughs> <Yeah>. after. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, uh, she does, Kismet, we can pivot right to her. She mm-hmm. is talking about, uh, you know, she's going to tax, uh, I think, the the wealthiest 4% of homeowners, mm. uh, the, a special kind of tax. Uh, that. I mean, that's bold to come out and say that because usually you don't want to run on a platform of tax anything, uh, even though things do cost money. Uh, But uh, I wonder, uh, that would require, uh, John, you can probably speak to this, uh, that would require uh, provincial assent, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, at the moment, the city really is restricted on um, what types of um, uh, property tax bans it can uh, impose and uh, everything I've seen suggests that uh, if Kismet were to uh, win the election, uh, she would need some kind of provincial uh, change in legislation to allow this. Um, I'm not also like entirely sold on the merits. Um, you know, my house would not see a tax increase mm-hmm. um, uh, under Kismet's proposal, and. On the one hand, like, okay, hooray for me. Um, but, you know, uh, also the value of my home has doubled since I bought it. And I have not put in, I, I've put some work into my house, but I haven't put in that much. And, um, you know, I believe that affordable housing and good public transit and the, the services that uh, the city provides um, are important enough that I should be asked to pay for that too. And so the combination of, uh, if Denise is right, the, of um, a tax increase on upper-income homes while uh, pledging to keep other property tax increases to inflation, uh, it sort of leaves me cold. Like, this stuff is important enough. Yes, you should tax me for it. Right. Um, yeah, how do you feel about the tax the rich? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not so much that I'm against it as I think that is that really going to solve the problem. Um, And I think that owning a house in Toronto, as I also do, has become such a privilege that uh, we should have to pay our way more. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, for me, it it just comes down to there's there's no world in which Doug Ford allows that to happen. I mean, he, he he's already meddled in seemingly, you know, more trivial things. Uh, I, I can't imagine... Kismet or John Tory going to the province and saying, can we have road tolls? Can we have a tax on the wealthiest 4% of homeowners? You know, like, I I don't see that happening at all. I mean, at this point, I think it's, uh, it, it is still an open question as to, um, you know, will Toronto be allowed to uh, 
you know, continue having a land transfer tax. I mean, that would be a very radical move for the province to uh, take that away. But you could curtail it at the margins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could forbid the city from increasing it any any further without uh, provincial assent, that kind of thing. Um, and that's a huge part of the city's fiscal plan. And, and we've used the land transfer tax, frankly, to... Um, paper over the um, unsustainable fiscal course that at least two city managers now have uh, repeatedly warned us about. Right. It would be rich for Doug Ford to roll back the municipal land transfer tax <laughs> when his brother re- relied on it so much for mm-hmm. his whole keep the keep the taxes low policy. No, wasn't it that he stopped the gravy train? <laughs> oh, yes. No. Okay, yeah, there was a gravy train. It's an important fact check there. It's, you know, so much has happened since then. Uh I'd also like to say, uh, Denise, you are correct. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. reading a tweet from friend of the show, Jennifer Pagliero of the Toronto Star, and she says, Keysmat question again, says she wouldn't raise property taxes above the rate of inflation. Keysmat clarifying, says she is approaching taxes differently than Tory. Surtax she's proposed on a small number of homeowners is progressive, targets those with the highest valued properties, she says. Mm-hmm. So, all right, this is breaking for <laughs> We're recording on a Wednesday, or sorry, a Thursday. Uh, this will come out uh, the following Monday. Let's just get initial thoughts on the like. So it's true. What what do mm-hmm. we think about that? I think she thinks that she can't win if she says that she will raise property taxes. Well, statistically, <laughs> it doesn't seem like she can win anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> I, I, if it were me, if I had my druthers, uh, you know, I'd want someone to, you know. Be prepared to die on that hill just because it's the mm-hmm. right thing to argue for. But to, John, how do you feel? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's disappointing because up until now, I would have said that um, several of Kismet's uh, positions seemed to me, uh, and I would actually include the um, uh, upper income property tax increase. Um, they seemed to me like the the campaign accepted that. They were not necessarily uh, likely to win, but they, th- they thought these were important issues that were worthy of discussing. And this seems to me like um, they've backed off. And maybe they think that this gives them a better chance of winning. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, politics is about winning the election first. You can mm-hmm. only do good things if mm-hmm. you get past election day. Right. Um, but... At some point, this city uh, is going to have, either we're going to have the discussion about uh, living uh, uh, within our means uh, by, you know, increasing property taxes or uh, cutting spending, or we're going to hit a crisis. And that's the point where it will be too late to have that conversation reasonably. And that's when we will be making decisions in a panic. And um, that's not a recipe for good governance. (laughs) And I would like to walk, uh, you know, what I said back, lest I, you know, put a dent in voter turnout this uh, this election. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. anything can happen in an election, and polls uh, can be wrong. Yep. Uh, it's just that, uh, you know, I, I've taken a glance at them, and, and they seem to say that, uh, you know, John Tory has taken a slight dip, as, as I said at the top, um, and uh, Kismet has taken a slight rise, but the space between those two campaigns is is significant. So, but, you know... Anything can happen in this We're election. Still, you know, two weeks away and... Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, still go vote. It's not a done deal. I'm not, <laughs> well, you have to I'm vote for your saying, councilor, yeah, go your vote school for your trustee. Counselor. I'm not saying nothing matters. You may as well vote for mayor, mayor when you're there. 
Um, but yeah, I, wa I wanted to talk about Kismet's rent-to-own uh, sort of policy, uh, which I haven't really had time to dig right into. Have, have either of you got to... to no, I heard about it first at the, the Globe and Mail debate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I've looked at it um, uh, not as intently as I should have, uh, given, I guess, my reputation for being a housing policy nerd, but things are also busy provincially, and I can't, you yeah. know, <laughs> I'm only one oh, man. Something <laughs> happening in Queen's Park <laughs> of note? Um, but, uh, in general, I think, um, the big question that I have for, uh, Kismet's housing policies, uh, broadly, um, especially, I guess, in the context of today's, uh, event is, uh, you know, um, how do you pay for it and how, um, uh, how, how do you make room for it? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I tend to tweet a lot about uh, you know the city's planning policies and and how I think that they uh, restrict uh, home building unduly, um, and you know, outside of the minutia of does zoning bylaw X allow a height of you know nine meters or ten meters, um, the the more fundamental discussion uh, is is about you know how do we make room for uh, new people here, mm -hmm. and that there's no way to avoid that argument whether you think the answer is a a market-based solution or a public housing one um you know you you need to have that argument and you need to win the argument and what i haven't seen um in uh keys matt's plan there she, she talks about for example with her hundred thousand uh home uh, uh announcement which was very early on in her campaign she talks about uh, building in underused city-owned spaces. Mm -hmm. um, that's great. I have no objection to it in principle. Um, but when you talk about taking parking lots away from uh, neighborhoods, when you talk about building on top of TTC stations, um, people legitimately do uh, object to these things uh, right. because they, you know, they, they they worry about the impacts on their neighborhoods. Um, and uh, you know, I think. Um, Generally speaking, we haven't uh, we haven't had that argument yet. Okay. In terms of rent to own, well, I mean, did she say? Maybe not. Did she say they're going to make new buildings that you rent to own, or is it supposed to be Toronto community housing? Um, I, I took it as these would be uh, new construction. Okay. okay. Um, I, you know, I know there's been an experience in the UK of. Um, you know, allowing uh, social housing tenants to eventually to, to buy their own homes. And that was a, a policy that went back to Thatcher. And the, the results have been, let's say, decidedly mixed. Um, there's been a, there was some research, I believe, last year showing that given enough time, basically what has happened is that the, the first generation of, um, you know, affordable housing tenants who, who, who did legitimately benefit from this uh, policy uh, then just sold their units on the private market and, and right. effectively that became lost uh, affordable housing. Yeah, well, that's, you know, what I've heard in the past um, because uh, as brought up in the Globe debate, Saran Gebre-Selassie Gebre um, said, you know, Jennifer Kiesman did not invent rent-to-own. Mm -hmm. And so what I've heard in the past is if it were community housing, um, yeah, what do you do with people that need community housing after that um right. and right now you know our waiting list is huge and all that so and also people have pointed out um like uh, neville park on twitter when mm -hmm. this was announced uh they said uh you know that's maybe good maybe a good idea mm -hmm. uh but uh it, it's still 
it comes back to this idea that like maybe we in Toronto, uh, which is, you know, densifying, like maybe we need to move away from this idea that you can come and buy a house and, you know, that's your your retirement package and that's your legacy to your kids. So, like Maybe that's just not a workable model anymore and maybe we should stop focusing so much on how are people going to own a home in Toronto and more like how are people going to afford to rent in Toronto and how are their kids going to afford to rent in Toronto and on and on. Right. And I'm sympathetic to that argument and more sympathetic uh, in the last uh, year or two than uh, I think I was even, you know, five years ago. Um, my, I guess my concession, though, to, to Keyes, Matt, would be um, <laughs> given that I suspect the provincial government is going to at least partly undo um, some of the rent control measures yeah. that Kathleen Wynne brought in, um, the at least in the near future, um, the only way to give people security of tenure is going to be some kind of ownership. Um, that you know the the you know at least until the next election, um, I suspect uh, the uh, renting in, in Toronto is going to become uh, less protected uh, than it is now, and I don't think uh, tenant advocates are particularly satisfied with the situation now. That's a good point. And then in terms of. Um owning affordability there's there's a group called options for homes and they um i believe they they will give you money towards your down payment and then you can pay at a reduced interest rate and that sort of thing and you are not allowed to sell within a certain time period and or if you do you have to pay back the loan they gave you in full there's there are measures to make sure you don't just flip the unit and make a profit Let's uh, let's change to uh, golf courses. <laughs> uh, we uh, at Spacing have written uh, a lot about them, even in the past year. I think we had an article about how they are uh, sort of detrimental to the environment. It takes a lot of gas, a lot of lawnmowers, a lot of fertilizer to, to keep these things in the sort of pristine kind of condition that you expect for uh, the beautiful game of golf. Uh, you know, I had the whitest, most middle-class upbringing. Like, I've, of course, played golf. I don't mind it at all. But what we have here is city-owned land that we were talking you, John, like to, you know, sort of walk through a, a ravine system. And there is, like, a sort of... Uh, you, you hit a wall where, you know, every it's this publicly owned land and you can take these nature walks and then there's this golf course. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a fence. Um, yeah. But I, I uh, live out in the East End um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I will go uh, walking in the ravines. But, you know, once you, you uh, hit Vic Park, you're just on the other side of the, the, the road from uh, one of the golf courses that uh, Jennifer Kiesmatt has named as potentially uh, being repurposed. Um, you really, like, it... it, it, it it's a fence, but it does feel like a wall because you know if if the you know uh, if the course is, is operating, you really you know you get turned back, um, and you know it's not like the end of the world. You know I still have pretty substantial green space for where I live, but um, uh, but it is one of those those um, I guess irritants as somebody who doesn't play golf. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that it wasn't on the list of the ones she said she wanted to redevelop, but the one that the city owned golf course I'm most familiar with is Tam O'Shanter, which is an agent court, um, in Scarborough. And in terms of green space, uh, they could really use a nice big park there. Um, it's not particularly close to any big parks. And I think golf courses like look like green space, but they're not really because they're so environmentally unfriendly. And I think 
aside from people needing parks, you know, this is the week where apparently we're all going to die in 12 years from climate change. Like, let's <laughs> um, let's use our green spaces smarter. We need to. We have right. to. And I mean, we have such a weird relationship with golf courses, both, uh, I mean, in this city and more broadly. But, you know, it's not just that the city owns and operates uh, golf courses, um, but we also give sweetheart tax deals to mm-hmm. privately operated uh, or privately owned golf courses uh, because of this idea that we're keeping them as, as green space. Right. Uh, because I guess 60 years ago, the idea was that we were preserving this from development pressure. Um, but whatever you think about what that space could be used for, um, I just, I, I, you'd have a hard time convincing me that a golf course is the, the highest and best use. Right. I mean, even if we changed nothing else about the landscape and just made it a publicly accessible park, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly I think that would benefit, uh, you know, people in, in, in my neck of the woods. Um, there's, a, a, you know, a, a substantial tower community uh, around uh, the D'Antonio Park golf course that, um, you know, and I'm, I'm certain that there are people in those towers who play golf and enjoy them as golf courses. I feel pretty confident in saying that um, there would be more people who would use them as parks. Uh, one note of um, caution that I, I have heard and that I take seriously uh, from uh, uh, Jay Pitter on Twitter uh, has, has raised a I would say a, a, a point of caution saying that, you know, the, the interests of these neighborhoods really need to be put first. And, you know, she has said, like, she knows people who learned to, to golf on these courses and she wouldn't want to see them taken away from the community without really substantial um, community input. Yeah. Uh, and, and I take that point and I take it seriously. Um, you know, if... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think the fact that the golf courses lose money is... Um, is in and of itself enough to to close them down. Transit Lots of things that <laughs> the police lose money, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and sometimes we we should just you know eat a loss because it's good for the community. Um, and I don't even like describing it as as eating a loss, um, but I, I really do think that there are just so many better things we could do with that land. Right. I think it goes back to probably just the old Protestant, like Scottish roots of the city, which <laughs> I don't think, well, no, I, I know don't represent the city. Like that's not what the city is comprised of anymore. And uh, I'd like to see some actual statistics about how many people are active golf. We need golfers. race-based data about Toronto's golf courses. Okay. So that, <laughs> well, you're no, saying just, we have that or we need it? I would read that. I'm just teasing. I mean, I actually... I haven't thought about city golf courses in forever. I was wondering, do we teach kids to play golf there so that they can, you know, join the upper echelons of business if they want to? Like, can we do that? Do businessmen still play golf? (laughs) Like, are like our thirty-five-year-old millennial CEOs, you know, still playing a a quick eighteen? Or I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. I don't know who this impacts. I do take a point, and and Jay Pitter's point, uh, and she did have a back and forth with Keysmat about it. Uh, I don't think. Jen Kismet has said exactly what will happen with the golf courses. She said there's opportunity right. to develop the land for housing or whatever, or um, community so, hubs, that kind I of thing. I think she didn't yeah. say, did she say housing? Because she got into it with John Tory at the Globe debate about housing. Or is she just saying, like, let's take a look at it? Yes, I believe. And then maybe she, because I think that he said, well, are you going to take away green space? You know, and yeah. You know, I, I think. 
one of the frustrations uh, that I have is, you know, and like I, I'm a guy who's is willing to talk about putting housing uh, in in you know spots that are currently green space. Um, you know, some of these golf courses though are like in ravines that are protected by like conservation agreements and you know they've, they've been forbidden for development since hurricane hazel right. um but we can only sell public land once and this is i you know i come back to one of my reservations about keys um relying on uh the use of public land for uh, f- for her affordable housing goals. I mean, if it's the only thing that we can agree on at council, then something is better than nothing. But city-owned property, as I say, you know, we, we can only sell it once. And I'm, I, I have reservations about making that the cornerstone of a plan uh, because it, it, it closes off other avenues. Um, so, you know, if... We're talking about uh, turning these golf courses into community hubs or, you know, or parks or libraries or other, you know, public amenities that the city needs more of, then by all means, I think that's great. Um, the the idea of, of building housing on them uh, skeeves me out a bit. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, keeping on the land use policy tip uh you'll enjoy this job uh something i I, just before you guys arrived i uh i went on keysmat's uh website and went to the sort of land use housing kind of policy pages and i just did a control f for yellow belt right and i found nothing and uh for listeners who don't know the yellow belt is large swaths of, uh, of Toronto that are zoned specifically for sort of single-family detached housing. Uh, it's, uh, you know, a lot in the inner suburbs, but you'll find it all over the place. Uh, they're, sort of, they're sort of termed stable neighborhoods, uh, which is problematic in ways that, John, you can probably unpack very well. <laughs> and literally col- col- colored yellow in the city's zoning maps, which is where the, the term comes from. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a, a Gil Meslin uh, yeah. developed the term... Uh, so, yeah, that's a problem because we need to intensify not just the downtown as we have been, because eventually we're going to run out of land for condo towers and that kind of thing. Uh, and it's ridiculous that we have these huge swaths of land where you can only really build a bungalow. It can only be a certain height. Uh, you know, families look different the this day and age. Like, those neighborhoods were built at a time where you'd probably have about two and a half kids and now you're more likely to have, you know, just one, uh, you know, you have the elderly people that have been there forever. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're sort of alone in this giant house that they no longer have need that space for. And they don't have the sort of amenities that a sort of more dense downtown neighborhood would have that, you know, if you do need to, you know, go to walk to the doctor, you can do that or, you know, those kind of things. So these neighborhoods are, are a huge issue. Um, they are low hanging fruit as far as I'm concerned in terms of where, where are we going to put density in the city? Where are we going to build new housing? Uh, low hanging fruit in that if laws and <laughs> political sentiment changed magically overnight, we, we could do a lot with that, but they are kind of a sacred cow. Uh, and, uh, maybe that's why we haven't heard, anything about it from any of the candidates really Uh, i haven't heard that term and uh, i haven't heard people seriously talk about this issue in this campaign so far 
I grew up in North Scarborough mm-hmm. in a giant suburban home. And um, maybe low-hanging fruit for you, but try and sell it to people out there. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. You know, my number, my major problem, like going back to David Miller, and uh, I actually, um, I ran into Jennifer Kiesmat, um at the CBC a couple of weeks ago, and I, I sort of mentioned it to her, uh, and it's why Rob Ford run, won. Many politicians do not understand how the suburbs feel or work here. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally, yes, I believe that we need to intensify for many reasons. Again, environmental reasons. I can also understand why people don't want to when transit is already terrible and transportation is already terrible. Um, but the feeling that you know, it's a thing that you work towards to come to Canada, to come to Toronto and buy your house and own your own piece of property in your own yard, that's going to be extremely hard for people to give up. And I guess, you know, what, what, are, what would you say to them about what they are gaining from it? Other than, you know, some vague environmental promise that obviously no one cares about. Sorry, I feel very negative about the climate this week. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's okay. Um, to answer your question, yeah. I mean, that's tough. Like it, First, you have to explain what the yellow belt is and why it's a problem. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because, yeah, people are sold on this dream, like people, newcomers to the country and even people Mm -hmm. who moved here from within the country, they, they, they want to build they, sorry, they want to buy that Toronto house and they want to Mm. retire on that. And they want to have something to put away for their kids based on that. It's really hard to sell them on this sort of intense downtown style living when that's not what they moved to that neighborhood for. But the fact is we're we're a major, we're the fourth largest city in North America and we're going to run out of land. And also, you know, as I said, as I said, people like Cheryl Case uh, from Ryerson did, you know, studies that show that this doesn't really benefit anyone. It doesn't benefit Mm -hmm. the people who are aging out of their neighborhoods or, you know, stuck in their neighborhoods in this giant bungalow and don't have the kind of, resources that a a dense downtown neighborhood would have um that is not something you can say in a political (laughs) debate i would be over my time that might be what you should sell it towards so my parents are actually living in a four-bedroom house by themselves um (laughs) and i've tried to get them to move downtown so that i have more child care um (laughs) and on one hand they're saying that if they sell the giant scarborough house they're still going to be able to afford a small condo um, near where I live, and so they don't have any sort of nest egg. That's one thing. But then also they like their neighborhood, right? Like it's not, it doesn't suit me. You know, I haven't lived there for years, but they like their neighborhood. Their friends are there. You know, all their activities are there. What if you did sell it as housing for retirees versus, you know, cool millennials? Like what, you know, it just, in proposing this, you really, again, have to understand how the community works and what they want and what they need. And it sounds like, you know, there, there's a fear of renters. This comes up a lot. We don't mm-hmm. want renters, these mm-hmm. transient people who, like, probably smoke pot and go to college. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's a, mm-hmm. an issue that you hear from a lot of people in more established neighborhoods who've been there for a long time. And uh, to them, I say, like, well, you know, your nephew is that guy and he's not so bad. So uh, y- you could have a mix, but also, yeah, like you don't have to leave your neighborhood, but wouldn't your neighborhood be improved if there was a dentist office down the street or, you know, if you could walk to the grocery store instead of piling into a car or, you know, all these things are considerations for the elderly. And also, you know, 
the most uh, maybe ruthless ploy would be, don't you want your grandchildren to be able to afford to live <laughs> in the same city? And that way they won't even have to call you. They could knock on your door and say hello, you know, uh, which I, I think some politicians have used in the past. But So I was just speaking at a... Um uh, a housing summit yesterday that was um, organized by various, um, like the, the realtors and the provincial developers. And um, I can tell you that uh, this discussion is not happening in the municipal election. It is very much happening among the people who are talking to provincial policymakers, um, which isn't to say that like there's a shadowy conspiracy or anything. Like, you know, this debate is happening relatively publicly, but mm -hmm. like, you know, the yellow belt has gone from a, uh, you know, a term that Gil Meslin, you know, started on Twitter to something that, like, provincial policymakers are talking about. Um, and I don't think that we're going to get um, radical changes uh, to uh, Toronto's, uh, you know, established neighborhoods. I think it really is just a third rail that uh, political... Um, uh, no political party is, is really interested in touching and, you know, not for nothing, but it's not like the progressive conservatives are um, really in love with the idea of the um, sort of new urbanist vision of, you know, um, more densely built uh, communities. That's um, not their base. What little support they have in Toronto, it's not the downtown dense neighborhoods. It's it's bungalow land. It's yeah. It's, and it, you know, it's it's, it's, it's the, the suburbs broadly. And um the, you know, how do you sell it uh, in, in neighborhoods? Like, I, I just, I don't think this is a topic that you can debate reasonably in an election period. Um, you know, when I, uh, I started covering City Hall in 2010, uh, I, I just shortly before uh, Rob Ford announced, but one of the issues that year was um, whether to allow more, uh, retailers to stay open during statutory holidays. Um, and uh, Giorgio Mammoliti, uh, then running for mayor, bless him, um, uh, really demagogued the issue and, uh, you know, said that, uh, you know, council was declaring war on Christians or something. Uh, it was it was really quite bad. And... The and so the result was that um, then Councillor Kyle Ray, I believe, just pulled the item from Council and just said, you know what, we're gonna uh, we'll have to wait and see if Council can discuss this uh, reasonably after the election. Right. And I think that there are some issues that are just like that that it is simply not possible to discuss it um, in the heat of an election. Um, I mean, I don't care whether you think Jennifer Keysmat or John Tory wants to tackle this issue secretly in their heart, but whichever one tried to move on it first would be leaving the door open for their opponent to attack them because it is so um, at the core of our idea of what Toronto is, this city of neighborhoods, um, mm -hmm. that the idea... and. You know, remember Save Our Shepherd Avenue? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do remember that. Um, and, you know, and I could, I could tell, uh, you know, for example... To, to your parents, Denise, you know, I could say that the, the kind of changes we are talking about are um, so so incremental in terms of what the effect um, might be across the city. You know, um, it, it might be as little as a, a single, you know, four-story walk-up apartment being allowed in every, you know, hectare of, you know, Toronto. Um, 
and probably less than that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not talking about transforming uh, Scarborough wholesale into Brooklyn. Um, yeah. uh, that's just not, I mean, that's not possible and it's not needed. Um, you know, the, the thing about the, uh, you know, grandkids visiting is, uh, you know, is, is actually something that I, I hear, you know, people use those kinds of phrases like, fine, you own a home in Toronto. Do you want your kids to be able to live here? Because like we are, we are an engine for exporting young people to cheaper parts of this province and cheaper parts of this country at the moment. And, um, you know, not all of that is terrible. There are lots of parts of this country that could use more young people. Um, but Shout out I don't, to Winnipeg. <laughs> but I don't think it's the future that we imagine for this city where it becomes really a, a, um, a, a game preserve for a very um, wealthy, almost hereditary class. Mm-hmm. I mean, you also have a lot of multi generational families living together in the suburbs. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe imagine what would housing density look like for them, right. um, which isn't something I've ever seen anyone approach it as. So like a granny suite would be good in that yeah. case or that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But if you, yes, I think the idea is that, Oh, you're going to put like an 80 story high rise on the street. <laughs> like, yeah. And shut that down immediately. Um, the theme of this election has been sort of that we haven't really had an election. It's been curtailed by the, you know, chaos at, uh, Queens park and, uh, uh, you know, we, we could go on and on, but, uh, Given that, uh, I'd like to ask you both, like, what, what do you think is missing from the election? You know, what haven't we seen? What do we need to be talking about? There's a week and a half left. Um, and so maybe there isn't time for that. But let's say that there is. Let's say this podcast drops and changes the whole debate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are you missing, Denise? Uh, well, climate infrastructure. You know, I wrote um, last year when... The islands were flooding, and it was, you know, this timing of the islands were flooding as council was deciding to push forward stormwater and not deal with it. Um, so that's something that we should probably deal with. Um, Which John Tory sort of, uh, he advertised in, in mm-hmm. some of his campaign literature that he that he did not vote for a tax that would yeah. have uh, yes. held the line against yep. <laughs> a parking lot tax. For flood protection. He, yeah. That's the only time it was addressed was him being like, yeah, we didn't do that. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying no. It's um, not great. That's the only one I really think of now. Yeah. I don't know. What do you I, think? I would say that... Um, I don't think, and you know, um, Matt Elliott at CBC and formerly of Metro has, has said this as well. Um, so I'm not being particularly original, but I, I don't think we've had a reasonable conversation about the fiscal state of this city. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one of the um, alarm bells that went off last year was um, for many years the city had had a policy of raising. Uh, residential property tax rates faster than uh, commercial tax rates to try and close the gap um, from, I believe it used to be, I want to say four and a half times, you you paid four and a half times more in property taxes for commercial uh, property than you Mm -hmm. did for residential properties. And and they wanted to close that gap um, because it was, it was, you know, basically not a, it's not a practical policy in this day and age. And um, last year, for the first time in several years, they broke the the, the policy of, of um, uh, trying to narrow that gap. They they increased uh, commercial property taxes in step with uh, residential ones, and um, that I think you know could be uh, an alarm bell that um, 
the 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 wheels are starting to come off of the fiscal train. Mm -hmm. uh, the the strategies that we have been using, um, frankly, since uh, Rob Ford was elected, of um, you know. Uh, papering over uh, spending cuts and papering over um, really, I mean, if you take out the, um, not just the land transfer tax, but all of the revenue that we get broadly from this, um, you know, supercharged housing uh, market, mm -hmm. um, you know, we really have been living on borrowed time and I don't think uh, anybody has uh, proposed a, a realistic plan B um, mm -hmm. for when, you know, uh, to mix all of my metaphors uh, for when the music stops, you know. And actually the two front runners have shut down the most obvious source of revenue. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, this has been your spacing radio election panel. Uh, I want to thank you guys both for uh, joining me. Uh, we are as always in 401 Richmond street, West Toronto, Ontario. Uh, how can people find your work? Uh, I am at the globe and and I'm also on Twitter as at Balkasoon. And I am at uh, tvo.org and also on Twitter as at jm underscore McGrath. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. And that is the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this show, please give us a like, share, subscribe, or ratings on iTunes as it'll help us reach new listeners. I make this show with Neil Hinchley, who composes our music, and you can find his music on SoundCloud at track 82. That's all spelled out. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or scoops, you can tweet at us at Spacing Radio, that's all one word, or email me at glennbowerman at spacing.ca. That's G-L-Y-N-B-O-W-E-R-M-A-N at spacing.ca. Visit our website at spacing.ca or visit our city store at 401 Richmond Street West in Toronto. Until next time. Cheers. <laughs>